All Things Considered, HPR One. I'm Dave Lawrence. Thank you very much for joining us. Today we are up in our Atherton Performing Arts Studio. Simon Phillips, Hiromi, the Trio Project, through Saturday at the Blue Note. It's pianist Hiromi Uihara, bassist Hadrian Ferro, drummer Simon Phillips, touring for Spark. We welcome Simon now. Aloha and mahalo. Aloha. <laughs> it would be impossible to touch on all the stuff you've done or even a good portion of it. You've been so prolific. Looks like Sid Phillips, your father, mm-hmm. played a crucial role in your career. You ended up playing with him, 12 years old, 1969. Well, I grew up around Big Band, basically. Even before I was born, my mom would take me into BBC recording studios. I don't know how much that has, but uh, I think it plays a little mm-hmm. part in it. It didn't really make sense until I was about three and a half years old. One day, my father got a new drummer, and also he used to rehearse in the house. He changed the way the band was set up, so the first instrument I saw when I walked in the door was a Ludwig drum kit, and that was it. I started hitting things. Obviously, I was growing up around music. My mom was a huge music fan and also an amateur recordist. And that's how I got into recording. I was playing around with tape machines when I was five years old. In addition to your dad helping to groom you as a player, you also have a legacy as a producer. And so you would look at mom as having played a role in that. Absolutely, yes. I actually have a recording the first time I was in the studio with my dad's band at six years old in the BBC. But the one thing he taught me, I realize now only just in the last few years, he taught me to play music. I didn't learn to play drums. It was how to play a song. And I think that's really the discipline of of doing that and understanding that has really stood me in such great stead in my whole career. Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical, which version? The original stage production. The West End in London, September 73. This is just before 1974, Robert Palmer session, Little Feet's Lil George, The Meters, yourself, Mm -hmm. all backing Robert on... Sneaking Sally through the Absolutely. Air. I played on a track called Hey Julia. I was 17 years old. You get very busy around this time. The 801 gig, that's Brian mm-hmm. Eno, Phil Manzanera of Roxy Music. But literally around the same time, David Coverdale's earliest solo Absolutely. albums. That was through Roger Glover. He was producing. Mm-hmm. Deep Purple kind of just, they took some, a bit of a hiatus. Right. And Roger really wanted to get into production. He was doing his solo album and he was looking for a drummer. And Roger would end up linking you to quite a few. There were a lot of different projects. Then. That's how I, that's Judas Priest, right. Coverdale, all sorts of different projects, actually. For a 19-year-old, going to some rock star's house right. with all these cars in the driveway. That's what it was like for you. Oh, yeah. It's like, huh? Deep Purple? And he said, let's come and play. So we played and John Lord came by. So this is it his house? This is at Roger's house, yeah. And that was it. I went to Musicland. The band before us was Led Zeppelin. That was the start of the relationship with Roger and everything he did, he brought me into it. It's right around that same time, the late Jack Bruce. He was our guest in 2014. I was actually pretty close to Jack. Jack was a big figure in my musical life, personal life too. Um, Huey Burns, the guitarist, famous for playing that wonderful guitar solo on Baker Street. Huey said, let's go out to Jack's house and meet him and play. And we just started playing and it was instant. And that was the start of a very long collaboration. We did house tricks and then we went on the road. And Jack, he really taught me a lot. Judas Priest, Sin After Sin. Roger Glover produced that record. Featured Diamonds and Rust, cover of Joan Baez's epic. Dissident Aggressor would become pioneering due to the double bass. Yeah. It was early 1977, February, because I remember turning 20. We were getting ready to go on the road with the Jack Bruce band, and Roger calls me and said, I'm going to produce Judas Priest. They don't have a drummer. Would you come in and do it? And I said, 
Sure. Around that time, I was doing a lot of heavy music anyway, you know, Coverdale, Bernie Marsden. So I turned up to a rehearsal. In those days, we didn't have demos. They would just start playing. Okay, goes like this. And you just kind of join in, you start playing and and then stop. And this next bit goes like this and you start playing again and... That's how we did it. Now, a lot of your stuff is individual projects. There isn't a, a follow-up of any kind with the priest. There never was one. Was that just a measure of how busy you were with other things? Pretty much every project I did, I was asked to join the band. But most times, there was always something else happening. For example, when Priest wanted me to join, I said, well, I'm going on the road with Jack Bruce. So that's the reason mm-hmm. I didn't join. White Snake, kind of the same thing actually because we did the record in 76 but david didn't call me to join the band till 77 same thing with rod stewart i had a conversation with rod in 76 he was just forming the first band mm. he called me from los angeles and i said sorry rod i'm just joined the band with jack bruce so then he got carmine there were a lot of those scenarios going down because you were busy yeah you had things going on <laughs> Same time period, Gary Morris, 1978, back on the streets. We recorded it in Morgan Studio 16 track. And we used to track live. Same with Judas Priest. Glenn was to my left, the drum kit, and Ian on the right. <laughs> KK didn't play on the basics. He was in the control room with Roger, and Rob was in the vocal booth. And in that same period that we're talking about, Frank Zappa. I was a huge Frank Zappa fan. I got a frantic call saying... Are you available? We're in rehearsals right now and the drummer's not working out. Would you come down? I went, yeah. They had already started rehearsing and Frank, he heard the band. He went, oh boy, no, 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 no. And he fired the drummer. It was for an Indian violinist called El Shankar. I'd met him through John McLaughlin back with Jack Bruce in New York City in 77. So suddenly to be, I think it was 79, just come off the road with Jeff Beck and Stanley Clark in Japan. Down I went and met Frank. I was like, wow. (laughs) And he presented me with this chart. I opened this chart up and I went, oh, really? (laughs) And I still remember it today. Uh, Two bars of five, one bar of six, then above 13, 16. Then two bars of five, one bar of seven. It it was crazy. (laughs) Frank's looking at me and I'm going, okay, let's do it. Put it up on the chart. And I went, the only way to get through this is just play what you know in each meter. And that's how I got through, just by recalling different patterns in this odd meter. Was Frank happy with it? Oh, he came up and shook my hand. And I really just bluffed my way through it. (laughs) It was one of the most difficult charts I ever had to play. Working with Jeff Beck right around that time. There and back, the difference with this record is that I wrote some of the music. Going down to Jeff's house and playing that, I realized Jeff's not a composer. He doesn't write his own music. He needs music. I'd introduced Tony Hymas to him. So that whole record was made up of Jan's compositions and Tony's and, and my compositions. He's one of the cats that factors into the Arms concerts. There you are, 26, I believe you are. Yeah. And it's Jimmy, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, mm-hmm. all together mm-hmm. doing Stairway, which yeah. at that point had been shelved since the death of Bonzo, possibly its first time coming back, done instrumentally. He wouldn't let Paul Rogers sing it. Well, I got involved in it very close to the event. I got this call from Ernest Chapman, who was Jeff Beck's manager. Frantic call. Boy, you, you've got to come back. The, the history of rock and roll depends on it right now. And I went, Ernest, come on, stop being so dramatic. What's going on? Because he's a bit like that. And he said, you've got to come play with Jeff. It's just it's just disastrous, you know. And I went, oh, okay. So I changed my flight, flew back to London, went straight to the hotel and then straight to the, the rehearsal room to rehearse with Jeff. Rehearse that segment, which was Jeff's music, 
And then we went to the Royal Albert Hall the next day. Kenny Jones and Charlie Watts came up to me. You're going to play with Jimmy, right? No, I'm, I'm here to play with Jeff. He said, go on, play with Jimmy. And they kind of walked away just at that moment when Jimmy came up and said, hey, Simon, are you going to come play with me then? I went, I, I guess so. And of course, I had almost no rehearsal to play a couple of Jimmy songs, which I think were from Death, Death Wish. Wish to the soundtrack. Yeah. And all I got to say is Stevie Winwood, thank you for getting me through these because he'd been rehearsing with Jimmy. He helped me learn these songs. And then, of course, we did Stay Way to Heaven. One of the biggest compliments I had from Jimmy was when we first played together, he turned around and he looked at my bass drum and he said, those sound like f***ing cannons, <laughs> just like Bonzo. So a total of four shows, four one shows. in each of the cities. Yeah, Dallas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. Amazing. We're talking about arms, action into research for multiple sclerosis yeah. because of Ronnie Lane. Yeah. He was receiving treatment in Dallas, and that's why we went there. At the time, this was trying to graze awareness for MS, and, and, yeah. and it did. I guess that leads me into um, Mick Jagger, Primitive Cool. Actually, Jeff Beck. Hooked he, that up. He, I think he's responsible. I got a call from Jeff. I was on a Mike Oldfield tour. He said, hey, let's play with, with Mick. I went, okay, you know. So I, I went to Vistle Lord Studios, met Mick. I was older and getting more used to meeting rock stars and playing on their records. And That was a big one when you That was it? a big, yeah, of course. It's, it's Mick Jagger. And he was wonderful. Think about Mick. He's totally comfortable in his skin and he's totally comfortable being a rock star. I learned so much from him. He just makes everybody feel comfortable. Get into this area of being a politician and really being a rock star or famous musician or actor, you have to be a bit of a politician. I watched him do a photo shoot once. He made the photographer feel so comfortable and you get better work. He turned himself on. He didn't wait for somebody else to, right. to do it. He had his little boombox playing some music he liked. He danced as he was doing shots and knew when to stop. It's funny you say that because another cat you got to work with, Joe Satriani, when he was on one time, he was saying how much he learned from Mick. I'm just paraphrasing. He remembers playing like Tokyo Dome with him or something and yep. how Mick would find anyone in the crowd. And he said it wasn't about playing to this huge place. It was about playing to you. And he would make yeah. eye contact with one exactly. person and make that person feel really yep. special. Joe and I were together on, on, on that. that same thing. Only time I ever saw you live just a few years after that, 1989, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia with The Who playing this long show. Three and a half hours. Right. That gig, I guess because of all the Townsend work yep. leading up to it, is that what? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we were working on the Iron Man project mm -hmm. in 1987 when Pete popped the question to me. He said, how would you like to play with The Who? That's how that tour came together. Is that the biggest rock tour that you think when you yeah. look by far? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. An average of 70,000 people a night. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah. Any standout gigs or moments with those cats, or does it all just run into one? Just Yeah, it, it kind of does, actually. I would say the standout gigs were the smaller ones, like mm. Universal, when we did Tommy. That makes sense. With Elton John, Phil Collins, Patti LaBelle, Billy Idol. We had a list of hundred and something songs. It was crazy. What a treat, though, <laughs> for fans. We did four <laughs> nights at Giants and two nights at the Coliseum in L.A., and... Yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing tour. This guy's legacy is like few other cats. It's remarkable through uh, Saturday at the Blue Note. Simon's on drums, bassist Hadrian Faroe, pianist Romy Uihara, the Trio Project. Honored that we got to pick your brain, hang out with you here, be my guest on All Things Considered. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure.
Sun.